Live, huh? All right, well, we'll go ahead and start, even though we've probably got half the group that'll be here in a few minutes. Um, so I'm substituting for Mike today, although he is back from Ohio. I assume he'll be, I don't know if he'll come in here or not, but uh, Danny asked me to teach a few weeks ago. It's been a long time since I've taught adult Sunday schools. I'm way out of practice, so you all have to help me. And basically what I'm going to do is just walk through a lot of scripture. I'm going to read a lot of scripture. So we'll let the scripture teach us, and I'll try to add a little bit to it here and there. Um, Well, let's pray before we get started. Lord God, we praise you for this day, the Lord's day, the the day Jesus rose from the dead. And we thank you that because of that, we are here, and we're gathered to worship you and to learn from you and to be blessed by you, and to bless your name. And so we do that now. Help us now to do that even as we look at your word, think about all that you've taught us, and try to walk it out. We pray for your help in that, your Holy Spirit. And <clears throat> we thank you for the body of Christ gathered here and for how you're working in each of our lives. We just praise you and bless you in Christ's name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> so I... Probably can't read it in the back, but I just wrote on the board a few, just like a title and then a little chart. I'm not going to keep writing like Mike does. I, I don't know how he does it. It's kind of, kind of hard to do. Um, but the topic is be content or being content with being discontent. So just kind of a play on words, and I'll get into that in a minute. Or alternative title might be or expect to be discontent, but not forever. And then this little chart here, I don't know if you can see it in the back, but it, I've just got, if you talk about godliness and ungodliness, two opposites. If you talk about contentment and discontentment, two opposites, you can come up with four combinations, and that's kind of what we're going to look at today with the emphasis on this one here. So there's such, such a thing as godly contentment. That's 1 Timothy 6. Uh, there's obviously such a thing as ungodly Content. Well, I say it's obviously. To me, it wasn't really obvious at first until I started reading the scripture. But ungodly contentment. Then for discontentment, it can be godly discontentment. We'll talk about that. And then ungodly discontentment. So we'll get into that in a minute. Hopefully it'll make sense. But um, <clears throat> the reason I picked this is just uh, when Danny asked me to teach, and then I thought about what would I want to teach on or what does God want me to teach on, so, you know, 1 Timothy 6.6 6 talks about godliness with contentment is great gain. And that's been a verse I've always latched onto and prayed for myself and prayed for my children. But, you know, as I go throughout my days and my weeks and my months and my years, I'm still, you know, feeling discontent or uh, either about my own situation or my children's or what any number of things. <clears throat> so, you know, I just thought it'd be a good thing to look into deeper in the scripture, uh, the whole idea of contentment. Um, and after, you know, I've been an adult, been in the adult world for 32 years and been a Christian all those years, and I've been kind of slow to, to learn, but, you know, just the whole uh, experience of you start out your day with you want to do A, B, C, one, two, three. You've got your list of things you feel like you need to do or want to do that are good, not bad. Uh, and you just end up being frustrated because they don't get done for one reason or another. Um, <clears throat> so interruptions would be a way to w- put a word on that. So we'll, I'll use that word sometimes through this lesson. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, inter- interruptions to your agenda or your plans could be other people, things they do, or have nothing to do with people. Your car breaks down, your computer quits working, power goes out, all those kind of things. And it can be my own self, just my own distractions in my own mind or procrastinating or uh, getting off my own agenda that I set for myself. So all these kind of things, you know, inter- are what I'd call interruptions. Um... <clears throat> So, you know, I'm learning, have been learning, still learning, that, you know, my agenda is not the best. God's agenda is the best. God, his, of course, overrules mine, and that's for a good reason. 
And so that's part of the whole contentment, I guess, um, aspect of your life is not expecting things to go your, how you've planned them, what you expect uh, needs to be accomplished or how things should be. Um, and so, we, like, I was mainly preparing this last weekend, and then sure enough, on Monday, I got a phone call from a, one of my children, and it wasn't a major event in their personal life, but to somebody really close to them. It was very major, very tragic, and just kind of overshadowed the whole, <clears throat> whole week, even does today. And uh, so just that's kind of what I'm getting at here, you know, why to look at contentment and can you be content every day, <laughs> you know, as a Christian. We're talking about as a Christian, of course. Um, <clears throat> and that's what we'll investigate. So I'm going to put it out to you guys first, you know, what I'm using this word contentment. The Bible uses it fairly frequently, but not more than a dozen times or so, at least. It depended on the translation, of course. Um, but how would you define contentment? Anybody? Satisfaction. Satisfaction. That's good. Peace. Peace. All right. Soul peace. Soul peace. Like an inner peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that word, resting. All right. Okay. Those are all good, and um, and obviously there are there's different sides to it, or you can choose a definition and go with it. So that, that's kind of what I did. I'm saying it's desires that are fulfilled. So that's kind of a broad definition that I, I chose. Um, I noticed in the Bible it mainly, when it talks about contentment, it seems to be on material blessings and provision, God's provision for you being content as opposed to coveting, you know, accepting what God has given you and not demanding more or wishing you had more. But, you know, obviously we use that word, and I think the Bible uh, can include that, just with if it's pain and suffering in your life or anything, that just recognizing God's good hand in all of it. <clears throat> um, so then discontentment, if you say it's, if contentment is desires fulfilled, Obviously, discontentment would be desires unfulfilled, okay? So the problem we have in this life, even as Christians, is we're every day, potentially, and usually frustrated or disappointed or sad or mad and so on due to things not going as planned or as desired. Sometimes we call this Murphy's Law, just something can go wrong, it will, and it, it seems like it does. Examples can range from stubbing your toe to getting a fatal disease, uh, losing a little money to losing your life savings, your child, like a young child misbehaving or an adult child rebelling, and on and on it goes. I know some people have chronic pain. It's not just a kind of a surprise one day, but it's something you experience every day. Um, So just looking at... uh, before we look at you know what all the Bible has to say, if you just kind of logically think about, I have desires. If they're fulfilled, I'm content. If they're not fulfilled, I'm discontent. This is that kind of real simplistic look at it. Then what's the possible solutions to that problem? Well, Buddhism would say, well, just get rid of all desire. <laughs> and uh, I think we all know intuitively that's not really an option. It's not an option. You know, we're obviously full of desires, and God made us that way. Uh, so I was a little curious and looked in the internet. There was a blog, a blogger. He just he said, yeah, I tried that. It's terrible. It's really what he calls clinical depression. If you have no desires. Just. So <clears throat> obviously we're, God has made us with desires. And so the key is fulfilling them. And of course, they got to be good desires, not evil desires. And we'll talk about that next. Um, So, you know, a simplistic solution would be live in a world where your every desire and plan are fulfilled. <laughs> right? <laughs> so if you can find that world where everything always goes as planned, you're going to be content. So, All right, so let's look at, before we get into Scripture, just thinking about the word desire. Uh, you know, how would you define that? 
it's almost a base word that can't be further defined, but maybe somebody can think of some synonyms or way to describe it. Want as opposed to need. It, cravings, okay. Longing. Mm-hmm. Hopes. Right, that's our experience. What, yeah. Usually there's something we desire, and you could almost say by that definition, it's something you can't have. <laughs> because of our evil desires, right, that raises up desires in us when we can't have it. What were you going to say, Ken? Okay. Well, good. Yeah, yeah, that's how I am. Yep. <laughs> right. That's good. So I'll try to summarize what you're saying. You start out, start out each day with a to-do list or things you want to accomplish, but at the same time you've learned to submit it to God, and you can be try to. Yeah, absolutely. We totally understand that. Yep. <clears throat> Very good. Um, well, thank you for those. Um, so yeah, cravings or it's what you want. Like what you need, you, maybe you need it whether you want it or not. Uh, yeah, that makes sense to use the word want more than need. Um, <clears throat> so I'm just going to dive right into what, what are good desires, what are evil desires. So I'm going to say good desires is only possible with a, a new heart that God gives you. It's true love for God and neighbor, and that includes uh, self-love, valid love for yourself. So basically, God and all his creatures. Um, <clears throat> and wanting to do those things that glorify God and that provide for the needs of others and self. So for example, and I think the sixth commandment might be the next one coming up in Mike's teaching, but I just kind of picked that, you know, you shall not murder. The larger catechism says, this is in a long list of things that that requires, or yeah, that it requires. <clears throat> And part of that list says lawful <clears throat> endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others. So there you have it. You know, that's a, a good desire is to want to preserve your life and others' lives. Um, so our desire to seek physical health, for example, this is just one example, uh, for ourselves and others is, a, is good in God's eyes. So obviously we can overdo <laughs> it on that to the exclusion of other priorities that God has for us but that's just one example of a that is a good desire it's not an evil desire to want uh, to preserve life for yourself and others all right so what is an evil desire I'm just you know it's basically the opposite of that not loving God neighbor or self for example the sixth commandment the larger catechism speaks to that as well sinful anger hatred envy desire of revenge all excessive passions, distracting cares, immoderate use of meat, drink, labor, and recreations, provoking words, oppression, quarreling. So notice how these are perversions of good desires, right? They're not just something totally alien from the human heart. They're just they're perversions of good desires. Uh, so seeking life and health apart from God and without wanting the same benefits for our neighbor. That's how I'm going to define evil desires. So you can have good desires, you can have evil desires, and depending on what you are experiencing in your heart, if one of them, whichever one you're experiencing, is not fulfilled, then that's what I'm calling discontentment. So that's why I've got these categories. You can have good desires that are not fulfilled, and that can be a 
a godly type of discontentment. All right, so let's dive into some scripture, and I'll um, just to kind of keep things moving. I'm not going to. I'll give you enough time to flip there if you want to, but I'm just going to read read the passages. So the first one is what I mentioned at the beginning, 1 Timothy 6, 2b to 10. So now, so I'm going to focus for a minute on what the Bible says about contentment. So in 1 Timothy, Paul says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness... He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So that usually when I'm, the next verse is the the familiar one, but godliness with contentment is great gain. But leading up to that, Paul's setting the stage. He's looking at false teachers who have a type of godliness. <laughs> it's really a fake godliness. And they're obviously discontent, and they're seeking contentment through worldly gain. All right, so then Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Obviously, he means true godliness. For we brought nothing into the world... And we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So there's that emphasis on material provisions. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pangs. All right, so a lot in there, but I got today. I'm just kind of focusing on, um, you know, is Paul saying that if you're godly, you will always be content in any and every situation? We'll look at that next. Philippians four. Um, I'm going to say no, <laughs> but let's move on. Um, so one more point I'm going to say about First Timothy. So these false teachers were using an outward godliness for worldly gain. Because you can, if you look back in chapter 4 in 1 Timothy, that's exactly what he says about these people. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So the false teachers were putting an emphasis on outward shows of, of godliness. That's what he's talking about. He's not saying um, that they were truly were godly. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's saying he promotes true godliness, which is not an emphasis on these outward things but on the truth of God and the gospel and, and all that Paul's been teaching. But let's go next to Philippians 4, verses 10 to 13. That's very familiar. Also something we you know, pray for ourselves and our children <clears throat> and try to put into practice. So Philippians 4, starting at verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All right, so that's... One of those verses where when I was really young Christian, I thought, well, that just means you can be Superman when you do anything that uh, is good. God will strengthen you to do it. But really the focus here is on contentment. But I realize even after this study that it is a little more focused on, you know, food and drink, 
clothing, shelter, the basic things, like you said in Timothy, that uh, Paul can be content with those things, not always having to have more. Um, <clears throat> but notice here he says, I've learned the secret. And then what is that secret? What do you all think the secret is that he learned? And I may not have given you time to get there. Philippians, that's Philippians 4, 13. Trusting in the Lord. It's like uh, choosing your path and sticking with it. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, that's, I mean, it's great. He's saying, whether I've got abundance or very little, I'm going to be content in either situation. And, uh, but it's... I put. I was thinking back at Danny's sermon last week. Um, I think learning here is kind of like wisdom and meaning. Uh, not like somebody just tells you something once and then you you remember it forever, but you've by practice gained the skill of being able to do it. So like practicing basketball and getting good at basketball. I think that might be kind of what he's getting at. If he's learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So, I mean, Laurie's absolutely right. It's, there is no solving the problem without Christ. It's looking to Christ, trusting Christ, believing that Christ will, is providing what Paul needs every day. Um, but in terms of that, the, that wording, learn the secret, I think it seems to be that. You know, I've gained the skill, the ability to do that through practice. Um, so one more thing on just focusing on contentment or godly contentment. Obviously, the Tenth Commandment says you shall not covet. Um, <clears throat> so the opposite of that is being content with what God has given you. And I just wrote down Psalm 23. It's just, to me, a good uh, prayer. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So that's that trusting God with what he's provided. Yes, Ken. You, you brought up a good point about the Tenth Commandment because the negative element of the lack of contentment violates the entire Decalogue because that's the last thing they put in there. Is what, what is everything when thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt yep. not, all of those things are based upon that, that, that covetousness of all of those things. So as Christians, we should realize when we are in that state, we are violating God's law, actually. Right. Yep. Very good. Even at the heart level, the Tenth Commandment particularly focuses on the heart, and that when we covet, that leads to other sins like murder and adultery, stealing. Very good. good yeah the bible tells us to work there's not there's not a these uh, verses about being content and trusting god aren't a don't negate that god tells us to work yes christian companies nowadays uh, talk a lot about self-care and a lot of the culture that's being built is about um Almost like you're saying my wants and my needs, and uh, I am suffering. You're not a good employer. Um, so just you know to think that the culture is is pushing us to always think like you know we deserve more than than what we have, and almost teaching us to be 
discontent all the time. So just just think about that, you know, because come and teach you to watch videos of kitties and make these ten exercises a day, or, or, or yes. just work this many hours, or you know, and that that's gonna be the solution, you know. And anyways, just just something to think about. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so the overemphasizing your own needs, and that's what we all tend to do in our sinful nature. And the yeah, the advertising in the world uh, puts uh, fuel on that fire and it stokes it. Yeah, we have to fight against that constantly. Oh, okay. Well, that's good, and that's a good lead into where, where we'll be going with this. Is uh, yeah, I, even though there is such a thing as godly contentment. It's what the Christian should pursue. Yeah, what we're going to be talking about is there's going to be a, a discontentment that we should expect and uh, that we're going to continue to have it throughout our lives. Right, and it gets into definitions, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, let's see here. So then going on to, so if there's such a thing as godly contentment, is there such a thing... We're not going to go to discontentment yet. We're going to keep talking about contentment. Is there such a thing as ungodly contentment? And I say there is. Um, so, you know, we're in a fallen, crooked world. If we're content in it the way it is, I say we're on shaky ground. Daniel 4.4 is uh, Nebuchadnezzar saying, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. And this is right before God greatly humbles him. <laughs> so Nebuchadnezzar was content, but he really shouldn't have been, right? Because um, <clears throat> he had, through evil means and without any faith in God or submission to God, had conquered all the nations. Um, psalm 73, is a re- all this stuff we're talking about today, just that whole psalm is a really good one, but I picked out a few verses So the psalmist prays, he says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Then further on in the psalm, after he'd entered the sanctuary, he says, Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Okay, so the non-Christian potentially can be fairly content in this world. The Christian could be, but that's a a wake-up call of something to repent of if you find yourself in that situation. Yes, Ken? Advertising, for the most part, is, is all about um, discontentment and promising that we will be content when exactly. we purchase this product or that product or whatever. And I think we've all found out that frequently that's not the case. We like the box better than the content. Yeah, exactly. Very good. Okay, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'll repeat it. Right. Right, so yeah, that's a good point. So Leanne's pointing out, you know, can a unbeliever who's uh, filling all their desires with the things of the world truly be content? And it gets into definitions. I mean, you know, we would say if their heart hasn't been changed, then there is really no true conflict between their desires and what the world's. But obviously, there's frust- the frustrations of the the entire universe of, of the curse, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. They, they experience those too. Um, and there's, yeah, there's a remaining conscience, even though it's seared by the fall, that, that conscience does still speak. And So you're right. There's, but, I mean, here it is in Scripture. There's this picture, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, 
maybe he had some pains of conscience, but, you know, for the most part, he's doing what he wants to do and living the, the, his best life, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's degrees in all these things, but that's a good point. Right. Yeah, and I was, you know, I'd say also a Christian can get pretty far down that road of fulfilling their desires for the things of the world, thinking they're content or somewhat being content, and that these kind of verses here are a warning. Uh, Nathan Graybill. I think it's important, too, to look where did Jesus find his contentment on earth. And when you look at John chapter 4, and the disciples come back with food, and they're like, you need to eat. And his response is, you know, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus found contentment, but his contentment was based on the Father not Mm -hmm. on the things of this earth. It didn't matter whether he was hungry or not. He didn't care about that. That's that's a good point. And yet, in a minute, we're going to talk about does God, did Jesus experience discontentment in any way? way? We'll talk about that. All right, so um, so back to ungodly contentment. One more uh, passage on that idea. 1 Timothy 6, the same passage where we started out with Godliness with contentment is great gain. Later in that chapter, verses 17 through 19, Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So there's that emphasis on the future and having a foundation for future contentment, I'm going to say, uh, or real, you know, real life. Um, all right, well, let's talk about discontentment now. So um, <clears throat> the way I've kind of defined some words here, we could basically say there's two ways to be discontent. And up here I said godly and ungodly. You could also say good or bad. Um, So the first type of discontentment I'm going to talk about is what's caused by my evil desires not being met. Okay? All right, and Danny's preached on this, has been and will be. James chapter 4, the first two verses. James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So that's, you know, some extremes there, but we can obviously fill in many ways that we do the same thing, whether it's not actual murder, but just being mad at somebody, thinking it bad of somebody. You know, that's, that's, those are the evil, th- evil desires that, as Christians, we fight against every day. But that obviously, if you have an evil desire and you don't immediately repent of it, you're trying to carry it out, whatever it may be, obviously you're going to uh, be frustrated, <laughs> discontent when it doesn't get fulfilled. Whatever, you know, maybe you want something, just getting back to kind of material things, you just really want a certain material thing and you just can't have it and that discontentment that comes from that so I, yeah, that's what we're f- mainly familiar with when we think about discontentment is that we're wanting things we shouldn't want or, or that God just in his wisdom isn't providing alright Psalm 38 uh, is a prayer of confession by David in one verse in there he says there is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation there is no health in my bones because of my sin." So David's experiencing, I'll call it discontentment, obviously just as the uh, conviction of sin, the, uh, and yeah, it's all good, of course, but still that feeling, that experience, I would call discontentment. 
as he goes through it. Then on the other side, there can be contentment if he, when he experiences God's forgiveness and cleansing. But in the moment, you know, that's a discontentment. So that's a type of discontentment we have that due, due to evil desires. Right. Yeah, and that's really that's the topic of the lesson. Is we're going to feel bad, or we need to feel bad, things like that. That's a good point. Yeah, that rather than seek uh, alcohol or drugs or pleasures to mask our <laughs> feelings of discontent, we should uh, take them to God, and that's God's grace. All right, so then, uh, but obviously we can have, we talked about like with the Sixth Commandment, it's, it's not a sin to want to feed yourself and clothe yourself, help others to do the same. And there's, you know, hundreds of ways we can do good, have good desires that are legitimate, that are appropriate, and yet we can't accomplish them for various reasons. So, um, but I'll just, some scripture here. Uh, so do one thing would be, obviously, other people oppose. You're trying to really do something right, and other people are opposing you. Psalm 38, same psalm, David prays, Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. So you know, we don't have the power to stop all the evil out there that may come against us. That's obviously going to create discontentment or, you know, pain, suffering in our lives. Um, but another category is just the brokenness of the creation, right? So from what Mike's been preaching on, the curse from part of that, and there's grace in it, of course, but still the fact remains you plant a garden, weeds come up, right? <laughs> and there, you got to uh, sweat and get poison ivy and get scratched and <laughs> keep your garden uh, doing well, things break down, you know, you just constant, all kinds of things like that. So Genesis 3.17, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And then Paul picks that up again in Romans 8, which is another, like Psalm 73, Romans 8 is another one that just, if you just read the whole chapter, we could just go home. It's all in there. It's so good. <laughs> um, but anyway, in eight, verses 18 and 20 of Romans 8, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. All right? And then even in when Jesus says, don't worry, in Matthew 6, verse 34, at the end, he says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So I take that to mean daily trouble is to be assumed. It's going to happen. Okay? He's telling you, don't worry about it, but do expect it to be there. All right, so moving on then to, uh, we've pretty much already touched on it, but is... Yeah, go ahead. But just thinking about uh, our longings for our loved ones to come to Christ, that's a discontentment. Absolutely. And trying to trust the Lord. Yep. Yep, and so I'm, I kind of started out talking about my you know, daily task list. Give me an interrupted. That's just one very narrow way of looking at this. That in this life, there's a huge range of small and big disappointments, right? And uh, there's reasons to be sad. <clears throat> and yeah, your children not walking with the Lord would be a major one. Um, 
So I, th I think we've already touched it on it, but I'm going to ask put the question out there. You know, to be as a Christian, to be discontent, are you sinning? If you're, and obviously there's different situations. I guess I should rephrase that. Are there ever any situations where it's uh, not simple to be discontent? still experience contentment within our cells. That's good. Yeah, so Gary, Gary's saying um, we can experience disappointments but still have contentment at the same time. Is that, am I more or less saying that right? So again, we, yeah, you're right. We get into definitions because later we'll talk about James says have joy in the midst of sufferings. And so that, I, I am kind of uh, trying to meditate that on that some more like can you accept God's will and be so you could say be at peace you could call it be content I'm saying um, you're discontent meaning you're longing for you're not uh, ex, you're not happy with things staying as they are forever that's kind of what I'm saying so <clears throat> we go through a process so when it says to be content or even to be joyful at all times I don't think he's basically thinking of this stoic monotone state I think that you you experience the frustration you experience the anguish and then there's there is a choice that you make to submit your will to the Lord, just like Jesus in Garden Gethsemane, where he's actually saying in anguish, I don't want this, but I'm submitting my will to your will. And so I think that process is very important. Right. So, very good. Thank you. Okay. Um, well, so I'm just going to jump in. You know, is discontentment sinful? Depends on the definition. So I'm going to say yes and no. First, yes. Discontentment is sinful if it's characterized by grumbling, complaining, worrying, based on an idolatrous view of God as if he's not good, as if he's not just, or not caring, and so on. Uh, this would be what the first generation of the Israelites, the majority of them did in the wilderness after the Exodus. That's talked about extensively in Psalm 95 and again in Hebrews 3. God is angry with them and they therefore do not enter his rest. Okay, so that's an ungodly, sinful type of discontentment, grumbling, complaining, not believing God, that he's good. All right, but I'm going to say there is the other answer can be no. This is what I'm, I'm trying to say. I think what Mike was saying, if, if you want to call it discontentment and it's a longing for the consummation of the kingdom, the return of Christ, the beginning of the glories of heaven, this is what I'm, I'm calling a good type of discontentment or godly discontentment. Yes? We are exiles in this world. Right. Exiles and strangers. And that, yep, I think that gets at the same idea. So let's look at some verses here. So Paul, who said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And in Philippians 4, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content. All right, he also says in Philippians 2, He's talking about his friend Epaphroditus. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Okay, so Paul's expressing these emotions of sorrow and being anxious that I don't think he's saying are sinful. I think he's saying they're legitimate. Um, Romans 9 is a real pinnacle of that idea. Paul says, uh, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ 
for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So he's got deep sorrow over the sin his fellow Israelites not uh, accept Christ and, and not receive the grace that's offered to them. So I say those are legitimate feelings of, I'm saying, using the word discontentment just to kind of pick an opposite, you know, a word that's the opposite of contentment. Uh, but obviously the Bible's using words like sorrow and anxious. Um, so does that make, am I clear as mud or any? That, I got the point across? Okay. Um, so I think we got time for this. I was going to put the question out there, and we've kind of touched on it already. Can God be discontent? What do you think? Is that possible? <laughs> now, obviously, Jesus was man, God and human in one person, so we know he experienced the Garden of Gethsemane, the cross, and then, so yes. But, what you know, God, uh, throughout Scripture, do you, can you think? Anger, yeah, good question. That's a good association, a righteous anger that you can maybe call a discontent. All right, Mike's going to help out here. <laughs> this comes back to the, the age-old issue. God is both transcendent and personal. So in his transcendence, all things are under his authority, obviously. But he also is personal and imminent with us. And so then I was just going to bring up Genesis 6. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. So there you have a situation. Some translations even say he repented, like he was so (laughs) upset that he had made man as he's looking at the evil that man is doing. It doesn't, that's not a denial of his transcendence. It's not a denial of his overall plan to bring all things under his, his, you know, powerful hand. But it is when man goes against his holy moral will, it, it grieves him, just like we can grieve the Holy Spirit. So I think that that's, uh, that's hard. That Jesus, I mean, he's human too, but Jesus, when he's crying and laying out his hands against Jerusalem, I've, I've prayed for you, I've sought your deliverance, and why have you been so stubborn? It, it hurts him, and there's a frustration there. So we haven't used the word frustration, but that's hard to think about with God. But I think that there's, on the personal side, as long as you don't push it so far that he's no longer transcendent, mm-hmm. uh, I think on that personal side, he does experience those feelings. All right, so he's validated what I'm getting ready to say. <laughs> That's good. Because, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, Jesus is uh, weeping over Jerusalem is the one I picked out. Yeah, so thank you. That's exactly what I'm getting at. If you look at the confession, Westminster Confession 2.1, it says that God is without passions. And I think I've heard Mike you know, explain to us that doesn't mean he doesn't have any emotion. That just means he's not, and that's what you're saying, Richard, I think. He's not frustrated like I Wish I could do this, and I just can't do it. That's ne- he does not experience that. You're right. Um, <clears throat> but, and this is what I wrote, he does feel or expresses grief and similar emotions. At least that's how he reveals himself to us in the scripture. For example, Hosea 11.8, he's uh, saying, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? That's, so that would be the northern kingdom. That would be Israel. How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? So that'd be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Just utterly destroy them. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. So there's that, you can call it a tension or just a problem that, you know, at least in God's interaction with us, he he expresses that, those feelings. All right, Luke 19, Jesus says, and when he drew near or it says about Jesus, when he drew near and saw the city, Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. So he wept because of their rebellion. First Samuel, and this uh, Genesis 6 might mention, First Samuel 15 is kind of similar to that, where it's talking about the kingship of Saul being a... 
you might, it seems like a mistake, but of course God doesn't make mistakes. But listen to how he does describe it. Uh, he says, then, this is uh, Samuel, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, and this is God speaking, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned away from following me and has not carried out my instructions. And down in verse 29, moreover, the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. And then down at verse 35, And to the day of his death, Samuel never again visited Saul. Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So there's a real tension there. It clearly says God does not change his mind or lie. He says, I'm going to do something and then not do it. He's not like man in that sense. But he does express this regret. He enters into that relationship with his people, so those emotions are going to be there. Um, Benji, it's kind of helpful to me to understand that God is always holy. Uh, God is always holy, so if he were indifferent to Saul's rebellion, that would be a change in God's attitude right. towards sin. So he can't do that. So when even in our situation... We're covered under the blood, you know, we're imputed righteousness of Christ, but there's still, when we sin, that God has to have a reaction, otherwise his, his, his very nature would be changing, like flopping in his attitude towards sin, and that's what doesn't change. He's, right. His attitude towards sin never changes, so that, therefore, when we change, he has to react to that. That's that personal side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's how I kind of try to sum it up. Our God is like us, and he is not like us. He is not frustrated as if he is not in control, and he never has an evil desire. Yet he has chosen to interact with sinful human beings, even to covenant with them. Thus, he experiences the pain associated with that covenant relationship. That's how I try to sum it up. All right. Um, So getting back to just kind of our own experience. At the present time, we're in the already and not yet. You're all sure familiar with that terminology. Uh, We, and I'd say and God, are waiting for the full restoration of our relationship. No more pain, complete joy and peace. Our good desires will be fully met, and we will be rid of evil desires. The tension or the stress or the longing for that day is what I'm calling a good or godly discontentment. Uh, so we see that in like Romans 8.22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. But why do we have to wait so long? In, as individuals, we have to live out a life of pain and suffering potentially the church has been waiting for a couple thousand years now or even longer than that if you consider the old testament church so here's what paul tripp says in a devotion called delayed gratification if i was at the wheel adam and eve would fall in the morning christ would come in the afternoon and the new heavens and the new earth would appear by sunset and the whole thing would take 18 hours max <laughs> All right, right. <laughs> but God had a plan, a perfect plan, and everything happened according to divine timing. All right, so, you know, we don't, God knows why, we don't know the detail. We know what he's working out, how he's working it out, but as far as the why, you know, why does he choose for, the, for it to be delayed, that's in his wisdom. Um. <clears throat> So we'll look at Romans 11 in a second. But first, just another thing on that theme of, of legitimate groaning, waiting for that day. Listen to what it says in Revelation 6. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. So they're crying out for justice, which 
is good and appropriate and has not yet been carried out. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. All right, then at Romans 11, Paul's expressing why is it that the, you know, the Gentiles are coming in, but the Israelites are rejecting Christ and all the details of that. And then he prays this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So there's a mystery in what Paul was talking about there. And I'm saying that that can also apply just to the timing of, of all his plans. Including the, the consummation of the kingdom and the, <clears throat> the end the reign of evil in this earth. Um, so that waiting for that day is a, a good kind of discontentment. All right, I'm going to say some things in conclusion. Uh, so we were created with desires and the need for them to be fulfilled, to be content. Eliminating all desire is not an option. Uh, if we are very content in this fallen, crooked world, then we're on shaky ground like Nebuchadnezzar or the wicked in Psalm 73. Uh, the you know, the Christian can go through a process of recognizing this sinful type of contentment, becoming discontentment, discontent with it, going through conviction, repenting of that sin, and then having a new contentment that is different and good based on trust in God rather than in riches. All right, regarding material things, we should be and can be content with basic necessities. That's Philippians 4.13. The secret is the skill, the faith of trusting God knowing that he is good and will provide those necessities or that he will withhold them for some good purpose. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All right, we cannot be fully content in this life, if in this fallen, crooked world. If we have godly desires, love for God, others, and self, we will be at odds with the world and its desires and its brokenness. Our discontentment in this life is due to godly desires that are yet unfulfilled. That's good. It's appropriate. We should expect this type of discontentment daily as we experience or witness pain, suffering, death, and wickedness. The Bible says to count these things as joy, but I believe that's a joy mixed with sorrow. So in James chapter 1 is where... uh, God says that through James. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So I would say the trials themselves are not joyful, but there is a joy in knowing they will yield eternal, abundant, joyful life. That's going to be the fruit of your tested faith. Later on in James, he says in chapter 5, be patient. So there's that waiting, right? He's not saying just be joyful, everything's okay, no matter what's happening to you. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So be patient. Establish your hearts. You could say you have a contentment or a peace, um, a faith in the midst of the suffering. During that time, do not grumble. But you're not being content to just stay in that same situation forever. You're hoping, you're expecting the relief of that tension that one day all is going to be made right. Um, so it is time. Danny said Sunday school ends at 945. <laughs> so I got, there's some more like Isaiah and Revelation, just the, 
description of what heaven's going to be like. It's wonderful. Um, and I'll just get back to the beginning. Like the interruption in my schedule or my plans this past week was that bad news from one of my children. And, you know, it's just a striking reminder of the brokenness of this world. And it redirected our attention toward eternity, toward longing for Jesus' return and his making all things new. I'll end with 2 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. So with that in mind, let's uh, face the disappointments of each day with a prayer something like this. Lord, thy will be done. You know what is best. Help me to respond to this disappointment with repentance, faith, and love as the situation requires. And thank you that soon there will be no more disappointments, either due to my sin or other sin or a broken world. I will be with you and you will wipe away every tear. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for these incredible promises. And we know, and you know, that we're not fully experiencing them yet, but we will. And that's, so our faith is in you, and we, we thank you that you will bring it about. Help us to wait patiently and have the right attitude, and but not to, stoic kind of unrealistic fake contentment but to truly be content with what you give us but be longing for the the real thing the full kingdom that you've promised thank you lord in jesus name